0: Good day. We're back with Latin 3 from the Church of St. Agnes. Today we're exploring Unit 32. If you will turn to page 284 and following, we'll get started. Uh, Now, as I mentioned in our last couple units, uh, Collins has chosen to divide up uh, the construction of indirect discourse with the uh, subject accusative and verb in the infinitive, into three separate units so today we get our final unit on that Uh, I told you in the beginning that uh, the infinitive can be any one of three tenses present perfect or future and um, today we will learn the future active infinitive and remember that all infinitives in indirect discourse show relative time to the main verb. The present infinitive shows contemporaneous or simultaneous time to the main verb. The perfect infinitive shows prior time to the main verb. And I think you can guess that the future infinitive will show time subsequent or time after the main verb. So on page 284, we see the future active infinitive and how it's formed. Um, it's a simple formation. You take your future active participle, which, remember, comes from the fourth principle part plus urus aum, and to that you add essay as a separate word, and that's the future infinitive active. Laudaturus aum esse, moniturus aum esse, ducturus aum esse, and so on. Every uh, verb from every conjugation that has a fourth principal part can form a future active infinitive. Not to be confused with the perfect infinitive, which is simply laudatus aum esse. right? So this is the future active infinitive. Now, there is a future passive infinitive, but it's so very rare that hardly any grammar books, especially beginning grammar books, teach it. And Collins does not teach it either. You will not encounter it um, unless you read tons and tons of Latin and then only very, very, very rarely. So the formation of the future active infinitive is quite simple. And as we proceed to the indirect statement or indirect discourse with the future infinitive, we uh, reiterate that the future infinitive will show um, subsequent time to the main verb. So, if we take a look at uh, section one hundred and sixty, Collins gives you a lot of examples. And again, notice that that time is relative in relation to the main verb. So, the direct statement, "Jesus in synagogue predicabit," Jesus will preach in the synagogue. Right? We make it an indirect statement in the present tense dequant Yesum in synagoga, essay. They say present tense, that Jesus will preach predicaturum essay in the synagogue in synagoga. So here you have your predicaturum essay. Sometimes that essay uh, may drop out. Uh, that's common, as you know, with a verb to be. Um, it still will function as a future infinitive. So predicaturum essay, shows subsequent time to the main verb. They say now, today, that Jesus will preach in the synagogue tomorrow. Okay, when we change the main verb to the past, we see what happens in the second example. Dix erunt Iesum in synagoga predicatura esse. Notice the indirect statement is not changing. It's Iesum predicatura esse, but the main verb changes, and now it's they said. We're in the past tense, so we still have to show subsequent time to the main verb. We do that in English by using would. They said that Jesus would preach in the synagogue, All right? And then uh, subsequent time in the future, indirect statement, dechant. Now we change that to a future tense. They will say, "Yesum in synagoga predicaturum esse," that Jesus will preach in the synagogue. They will say tomorrow that Jesus will preach in the synagogue sometime in the future okay so again um this is fairly simple it's just building on the things that we've worked on the past couple weeks and this completes the uh tense variation for this type of indirect discourse so again the present infinitive shows same time as the main verb the perfect infinitive shows prior time to the main verb and the future infinitive and indirect discourse will show subsequent time to the main verb. Uh, That's really all there is to it. Now, in 161, Collins talks about indirect reflexives. And uh, this uh, will occur in Latin. Remember, we talked about reflexives always reflecting back on the subject. But notice, a reflexive pronoun used in a subordinate construction may sometimes refer not to the subject of its own clause, that is, of the subordinate clause, but to that of the main clause. And as Colin says, context will make such cases clear. Well, um, usually it does make it clear, but sometimes out of context it's very hard to figure out to whom that reflexive refers. But there is such a thing as this indirect reflexive. Take a look at the examples. Um, Direct reflexive. (laughs) Aliqui qui viri sibi cibum habuerunt. Some men, aliquiviri, had food, sibi, for themselves, uh, right? And uh, uh, it's a date of uh, reference, really, in reference to themselves. They had food for themselves. Now, look at how an indirect reflexive works. Paulus subito audivit, indirect discourse coming, virum loquentem sibi. Paul suddenly heard a man, uh, actually it's not indirect discourse, I'm sorry, it's uh, just a sentence, uh, straightforward because uh, man is the object of hurt. Paul suddenly heard a man, what kind of man, to sibi, speaking to him. Now, we could say, well, Paul suddenly heard a man speaking to himself, and um, that theoretically could be possible, but this is an indirect reflexive, meaning that it's, reflecting back on the subject in the main clause, right? And not to the man. So Paul suddenly heard a man speaking to him, referring back to Paul. This indirect reflexive um, is not uh, real common in Latin, but it does occur. So be aware of it and uh, watch for it. And you usually will be able to tell uh, to whom the reflexive is referring through the context of the sentence in a paragraph or a story or whatever. Okay, Um, this is basically all the new grammar that is contained in Unit 32. And in the last section here in 162, on pages 285 and 286, Collins is starting a summary of various constructions. And here he's summarizing the ways to express purpose and as he says purpose or intention may be expressed by prepositional phrases subjunctive clauses gerund gerundive constructions infinitives participles or the dative case well uh, there are there are various ways to show purpose and there are various degrees of purpose um, uh, the use of the preposition is uh, in a sense, showing purpose, but not the same way that a clause does. Take a look at uh, letter A on page 286. He says that prepositions inner, odd, plus the accusative, uh, we've been doing this for some time now, uh, can show a kind of purpose. So, uh, in remissionem peccatorum, for the forgiveness of sins, toward, into the forgiveness of sins, right? Uh, ad maiorum de gloria gloriam, for, the greater glory of God, to the greater glory of God. Um, Those, those are true. It's true that prepositions can um, give you a notion of purpose, but they're not quite the same as uh, clauses, which is what we see in section B, right? Subjunctive clauses, ut or ne or qui, plus the present or imperfect subjunctive. Um, Okay, take a look. Jesus came ut in order that he might might make the world safe. He might save the world. Notice that ut can be a qui as a relative clause of purpose. We've seen that before, remember? So uh, usually with verbs of motion in the main clause, but not always. Jesus came qui who might make the world safe or who might save the world same as ut, in order to right we would translate it what uh, more common is the ut but you will see the qui as a relative clause of purpose so this this is the major way in latin that latin shows a purpose in a purpose clause jesus venit ut mundum salvum faceret jesus came in order that he might save the world or make the world safe now of course Uh, Another uh, way of using verbs or verbal form is using the gerund or gerund of plus ad and sometimes causa. And we've had these before, uh, just to review. Apostoli misi sunt, the apostles were sent, right? Ad infirmos sanandos, in order to heal the sick, to heal the sick. That's a gerundive phrase. Sanandos is a gerundive, not a gerund. Remember, gerunds are only in the four oblique neuter singular cases. So this is ad infirmo sanandos, and it's exactly the same meaning as the next one, ad infirmos sanandum, but that sanandum is a gerund. The apostles were sent ad sanandum to heal, and then infirmos is the accusative of the gerund to heal the sick or the infirm. Going back to remind you how we get a gerunda phrase, remember that we see in the gerund phrase infirmos would be the uh, the accusative plural, and uh, it's it's dictated because of the odd, and it's also the Uh, I'm sorry, because of the sanandum, it's the object of sanandum. So we take that and we make the gerundive, which is an adjective, a participle, modify it in number, gender, and case. So that's why the first example is ad infirmos sanandos. Those two are translated exactly the same. The apostles were sent to heal the sick or to heal the infirm in order to heal the infirm. Either one Gerund or gerundive, both acceptable in Latin, both used in Latin. The gerundive is used a little more than the gerund phrase. And then we have causa plus a preceding genitive, infirmos sanandi causa, right? And the apostles were sent literally for the sake of healing the infirm. Causa takes a preceding genitive, sanandi is a gerund, and we use infirmos as the object of the gerund. If we wanted to change that into a gerundive phrase with causa, we would take, um, we would say that the gerund is in the genitive. Uh, we would make infirmos in the genitive because of the causa for the sake of uh, the uh, infirm. Infirmos would become infirmorum and then sanandus aum, the gerundive part, the gerundive form, would have to modify it in number, gender, and case. So it would be infirmorum sanandorum causa. That's a possibility. That's causa with a gerundive phrase. Here it's causa plus a gerund, sanandi, and the infirmos is the object of the gerund. So um, another way of showing a verbal purpose is to use odd or sometimes causa plus a gerund or gerundive. Okay? And then um, we have in D, the infinitive. In Ecclesiastical Latin, remember we told you that in Classical Latin, the infinitive will rarely show purpose. In English, we show purpose all the time with the infinitive. I went to the store to buy milk, to buy, right? Um, You can do this in Ecclesiastical Latin quite often without any problem. So you will see infinitives um, uh, used to show purpose. Iterum venturus est judicare vivos et mortuos comes from the creed, and he will come again. He is going to come again, judicare to judge the living and the dead. He could have used ut plus the subjunctive ut judicet, but uh, here we use the infinitive to show purpose. And then he talks about using participles. Yes, I suppose that participles uh, can show purpose. The man came, uh, and he translates it, audience de Jesus, to hear about Jesus. The man came hearing about Jesus. Hearing about Jesus, the man came. Or I suppose we could say in, 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 to hear about Jesus. Visurus Petrum, about to see Peter, he entered into the house. He entered into the house to see Peter. Going to see Peter V. Souris, that's a straight participle. Um, we don't normally teach purpose expressed through participles, although it is possible. And then um, he includes the dative case here as showing purpose because there is such a thing as a dative of purpose. Remember, in the double dative construction, which I love, it's a dative of purpose and a dative of reference. Take a look at the example. Hoc sacrificium sit utilitati nobis. May this sacrifice be for our benefit. Literally, may this sacrament, sacrifice be, that's a just of, subjunctive sit, may this sacrifice be, or it's a wish, may this sacrifice be for the benefit in reference to us. May this sacrifice be in reference to us for the purpose of a benefit. Okay? Uh, that awkward way of translating it in English doesn't make really any sense in English because it's an idiom, the double dative. So there is such a thing as a dative of purpose for the purpose of utility or benefit. Okay, so that's uh, basically your chapter. Uh, Only a new, uh, really an addition to our indirect discourse with the future tense With the future tense of the infinitive and this uh minor minor piece of grammar on the indirect reflexives and then the summary of purpose uh constructions in latin and there you have it that's all of unit 32 so nothing really too difficult or too new um we see our vocabulary on page 286 287 i'd like to point out one word in particular Notice uh, near the bottom of the right-hand column on 287, the word fore equals futurus esse. This is an alternate form of the future infinitive of the verb to be. Remember your verb to be. Sum esse fui futurus. Futurus esse is the future, about to be. Fore is an alternate word, an alternate form that's sometimes used so be on the lookout for that strange-looking word. It means exactly the same as futurus uh, om esse. And remember, um, let me just remind you of something um, that I failed to remind you of when we were looking at it on page 285. When we use the future infinitive, an indirect statement, take a look at the example on the top of page 285. Dicunt yesum in synagoga predicaturum esse. Remember, just like when we use the perfect infinitive, we have to make the participial part of that infinitive agree in number, gender, and case with the subject of the indirect statement. So they say that Jesus is the subject. He's in the accusative. He's in the singular accusative masculine. So predicaturum is singular accusative masculine. If Jesus uh, was changed there to Mariam, we'd have to say predikaturam esse, okay? So that participial part of the infinitive must modify uh, its subject in number, gender, and case. Just a reminder. Good. Okay, well, that really is the uh, unit. And so without further ado, I will assign for you the exercises that uh, I'd like you to do for this week's uh, homework. And we'll be back with you in a few days with uh, recording, uh, going over those exercises. So on page 288, we have drills. And those, I think, are good. Drills number one on indirect statements with the future. Uh, Let's do those. And let's also do uh, drills number two on page 289, indirect reflexes. There's just four of those. And it'll give you a sample of how that indirect reflexive can work. Then, for our exercises, the sentences in 289 and following, take out your pencils and get ready to check the numbers I'd like you to do. Are you ready? Here we go number 1, 6, 11, 12, 14, 15, 20, 22, 25, 27. 29, 30, 31, 35, 38, 40, and 42. Let me repeat one more time. 1, 6, 11, 12, 14, 15, 20, 22, 25, 27, 29, 30, 31, 35, 38, 40, and 42. And then for the reading, let's continue with Peter's discourse in Caesarea on pay, uh, number two from Acts of the Apostles, and also number three, Mary Magdalene sees the risen Lord. So readings number two and three. We won't do number one formally, that's the Tonto Merigo. Most of you are probably very familiar with that beautiful Hymn, part of the, it's actually the last verse of a much longer, the Pange Lingua by St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, this is sung always at benediction of the Blessed Sacrament, and um, I think you probably know that one quite maybe by heart. So we'll do the readings number two and number three. Well, that concludes our lesson. It's a it's really a short lesson, and it's uh, not doing much new. Uh, we only have a few lessons to go, and in those lessons, Collins basically uh, includes some odds and ends, uh, a couple summaries of things that we've learned before, and a few irregular verbs, and and that's really it. So you're you're really on your way to a completion of Latin three, and really all the essential grammar that you need to read ecclesiastical latin so stick with it i'm proud of you uh, for sticking with it and remember as always if you have a question please don't hesitate to drop me an email i'll be glad to answer uh, your questions anything anything at all about uh, this lesson or any other lesson so until uh midweek when we post our exercises uh, i wish you the best Uh, have a wonderful day and god bless